0: cliffcentral.com Future CEOs on cliffcentral.com. Welcome to Future CEOs here on Cliff Central. Fluby, you're looking fantastic today and it's been two weeks without you here in studio. Did you miss me? I miss you a great deal. How are you doing? But you
1: know what, I'm carrying the flag of Future CEOs high and about and through the nation as usual. Yeah,
0: you were down in Durban, Durban ICC yes. at a conference there. Yes. And great pictures by the way. Thank
1: you so much flying the Future CEOs flag high, development of entrepreneurs, youth, birth Series, um, well, while and you, all the good stuff. While you're <laughs> on a roll,
0: just introduce the show because that's that's what you're really doing here.
1: Follow those of you... Of you that are listening, welcome to Future CEOs. And if you are a young, ambitious entrepreneur or a young high potential executive, this show is for you. We upskill, we mentor, we give references to great CEOs, and we also advocate and amplify and catalyse entrepreneurship throughout Africa. And that and was you, a good warm-up. Uh, it
0: was good. It was <laughs> good. It was. I give it an eight out of ten. I it's, could do better. Okay, it's, great, okay. it's great to have you back, Libby. It, th- thanks, honey. And it's also great to have our guest back. Uh, we can never get enough he's our friend he's our uh, quarterly moments to <laughs> take a breath and just remember uh, that we must do things smartly wisely dr Dee Martini, welcome back into studio. It's good to have you here. Wait, we'll so
1: human behavior specialist, leadership and performance expert, author and business consultant, founder of Dee Martini Institute. Welcome to Future CEO.
2: <laughs> Thank you again. It's like good have, it's, <laughs> That's a good time to be <laughs>
0: So you are just coming off, uh, off the plane. You really just stepped off the plane yesterday, I think you said, yes. when we were off air. Where were you been, Where were you before? I was in
2: Cape Town. Okay. I've been in um, Singapore, Brisbane, Australia, and Malaysia in the last week or so.
0: For all those who have not heard of Dr. Martini, I don't know where you've been, number one. Number two, what he does is he travels. I think you're traveling most of the year. Um, a, a, around the world Sharing, presenting, assisting people To really find the, out who they are And realize their potential Today he's helping us do something Libby, uh, Do you want to tell everyone what happened <laughs> okay? And that will be our introduction S- into. So
1: Dr. D I kind of exploded <laughs> <coughs> In the <coughs> office So let's unpack the topic of dealing with Difficult personalities at work Especially when you want to become a leader in your business Can you kickstart that conversation
2: off with us. Is this uh, with people that are you're the leader and they're employed with you or no. this is the employees to the right leader?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which way are we talking? I, I think it sometimes depends on our relationship <laughs> but, but it was de- it was with me. <laughs> okay. So certainly a colleague, I think, maybe a, a peer in a business, mm. um, a business partner.
2: Okay. Well, it's generally wise to not label people. Okay. Uh, because we can subjectively bias our perceptions over time mm. because of our, our ways of communicating with them. And mm. we can then assume that that's who they are as an individual. Okay. Because each of us, if if I was to come up to you and I was to say, you're always mean, you're never nice. You're always cruel. You're never kind. You're always negative. You're never positive. You're always uh, stingy. You're never generous. Mm. You wouldn't believe me. It would be, it would be an absolute label on somebody would not be true. Yeah, sure. If I was to come to you and said you're always nice, you're never mean, you're always kind, you're never cruel, you're always giving, you're never taking, you're always positive, you're negative, negative, you also wouldn't believe me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if I said that sometimes you're kind, sometimes you're cruel, sometimes you're nice, sometimes you're mean, sometimes you're generous, sometimes you're stingy, sometimes you're positive, sometimes you're negative, you would immediately no, well that's true.
0: Yeah, it's very reasonable that.
2: So we have objectivity where we can see both sides of people. Correct. And we have subjective biases where we tend to label people and polarize it towards an absolute. Mm. And this blocks the communication. And the reality is that each individual has a set of values and set of priorities. And whenever they feel that their values and priorities are being met, they tend to warm up mm. and they can loosen up and they're very flexible. But if not, they become rigid. I always say they tax the rules when you challenge their values. They lax the rules when you support their values. Mm. So finding out what that person's, you know, primary objectives are and highest values are, Mm. uh, and learning the art of communicating in those values increases the probability of having a warming relationship.
0: Well, you've hit on a very important point is that communication is not about whether or not there's a transmission of words across a space to each other. Communication is really the ability to tap into, as you've mentioned, values or the, the key message that has been shared. And sometimes these biases or maybe anger or frustration or unmet expectations block that the ability to receive the, the real message and not just the words, because the words are there. So so people well, we people filter. might say they're communicating. We
2: filter what we want to hear. We see this in politics. We see this on the media. We filter it. And uh, caring enough about the person to find out what is valuable to them helps that in relationship. If you know you're going to be in relationship long term, it's wiser to find out what that is Great. and master the skill. If you think that this is a transient dynamic uh, and you have alternative systems to go to as far as business, um, then you may say, well, you know, goodbye. Goodbye. And move on, but if not, it's wiser to work your way through it. I always say, fire up the relationship between before you fire it out.
0: Okay, I like that.
1: So, in preparation for the show, Doctor D, we came across a couple of uh, characteristics
0: of people. Or, or Shall we call them labels? Labels: mm-hmm.
1: the narcissist, the passive-aggressive, the gossip monger, the anger addicts, and the guilt trippers. <laughs> What do you think?
0: I think we should address these. Our top separately. five. <laughs>
1: well, I,
2: I, can, I can see myself in all of those.
0: Okay, interesting. Okay. I, I,
2: I think I've played every one of those roles at different moments in my life. Mm. So I'd, I'd, I'd be leery about just a flat label mm. and look at the context and look at what they're facing. Mm. Because we all, when, whenever our values are challenged, we tend to withdraw. We tend to get more narcissistic in our behavior, we tend to get more autocratic in our behavior and get less patient with people, and we start to demand. Mm. And then we can be labeled the narcissist easily in those situations. But we're really being challenged, and we tend to defense and protect ourselves. That's normal. We can also, if we've tried alternative strategies, we sometimes use guilt trips. We try to bring them down and and try to lift us up again. So I, I can look back and everyone you described, I can see moments in my career as a business leader. Uh, I can see I've played every one of those roles at different moments based on my, my not knowing how to handle the situation any, with any alternative. So I've, I, so the, before we put a, an absolute label on them, mm. it's wiser to find out the context and find out how the person's communicating with them. And finding out what role they're playing in the <laughs> dynamic, because it's I don't I don't ever see a victim in there. I just see a dynamic in there.
0: So it's it's narcissistic behavior, not a narcissist, perhaps.
2: Yeah, I'd I'd rather not label them that way because in under different settings they can play a different role. Mm. I but I've certainly played both sides. I've been narcissistic. And I've been very out of my way at helping people. And I've also been very focused on me. Mm. I can think of in one day, I can I can go from one extreme to the other. Time that's so
1: true. Actually, like that, we can be all. all If somebody comes up to you and says,
2: "By the way, let's say you're the head of a company," and they come up to you and say, "Well, I just blew the biggest client. We just lost the biggest client, and that means uh, two thirds or a third of your income of the company has just went out." Mm. You're not going to go. Well, I'm so pleased. How's your kids? (laughs) (laughs) You're probably going to go. What? you're probably going to, and it's challenging your values. You'll tend to go into probably a a narcissistic side. Mm. You'll think about yourself because it's, it's challenging you very deeply. But under settings where all of a sudden that same person came to you and said, I just closed the biggest deal of the history of the company. They'll probably say, I'm so inspired by you. You know, how's your kids? You know how you'll probably show this altruistic because whenever our values are really supported, we tend to play, we, we calm ourselves down and
0: we're more open to people. But if the other way we go, we close down and we get tyrant, we can become a tyrant. I guess part of my question then must move into strategies or or a way to approach these different types of individuals. And maybe we can go there with the conversation. So I I hear you saying acknowledge that this is part of – all of these things are part of you, part of everyone else around you. Uh, But – we must realize or, or see that there are those people who just have tendencies toward that kind of behavior on an ongoing, consistent basis, and then you can't really help but call them a narcissist or passive-aggressive or well, addicted to anger?
2: Well, sometimes what they're doing is they're not knowing how to manage their position and they're constantly being challenged in their perceptions, and so they're going to play out that role. Mm. And some in another setting, maybe at home settings or other settings and social settings, they're completely different. So I, again, I'm not, I'm not one that likes to put a label on them necessarily, sure. mm-hmm. but um, the way, if I look back at some of the people I've interacted with and other people have come to me and said, well this person's a narcissist, I've gone in there and chatted with that individual and found them very, very communicative and didn't find that label at all. We're, but but I can see the way that person's communicating because they have a different set of values. They're constantly butting heads on their value systems. And so as a result of that butting of heads, that person's playing out that role consistently in front of that person because they're not knowing how to communicate. They have such... It, when you meet people that have similar values to, it's easy to get along with them. When they have quite different values, you run into banging your head against the wall sometimes. Mm. So knowing how to stretch ourselves and learn how to communicate with people that have completely different set of values is to all of our advantage to learn how to communicate that way. So so there are challenging people, possibly, in different settings, <laughs> uh, but I, I would not just want to label them flat because I've seen that same person play a completely different role.
0: I, I like the fact that what you're doing is you're putting this responsibility back into the court of the, the person that feels like the other person is a narcissist or feels like the other person may be angry.
2: It may but- simply be an, an unwillingness to learn how to communicate more effectively, and they're just labeling people, and I see this. I see this in, in education. I see this in education. Teachers that are not knowing how to communicate in the mm. children's values will label them attention deficit, defiant. They'll give all kinds of labels, mm. but that same child under different settings, they're doing fine. They're very focused and they're very, uh, you've seen this sometimes a child will in one class, they do really well in another Correct. class. They do, they're not doing well because of their, their, their relationship with that uh, teacher mm. and the same thing in employment. You'll find that somebody else is a teacher's pet. And another person's a teacher's, uh, you know, violent, aggressive uh, <laughs> student, and the same thing at work. You can find somebody that will label that person uh, very evil or whatever, terrible, and another person will say, "Well, I don't know. I, I think this guy's great. I think he's very dedicated." I saw this in in profession, uh, in my own profession. Mm.
1: Doctor D, can you give us some tools to be better communicators in our businesses, just to be effective, and having a space whereby there is productivity. Give us some tools or well, give us some strategies. That we nobody can goes
2: to work things. for the sake of a company. They go to work to fulfill what's meaningful and valuable to them. Mm. And if they feel that the job description and the meaning of the company and the purpose of the company and the vision of the company is helping them get what they want, they're very engaged. They feel it's their company. because anything that's fulfilling what's meaningful to them. They feel that this is, they take ownership of. But if they feel that they're not getting what they want met, they're just doing a job. And a lot of people are trapped in that because they haven't found out, they've been hired Unwisely, mm-hmm. or they're in a position because of a need of a job, and they'll just take anything they can get and this is mm-hmm. uh, leads to low productivity and then with the, when you're a manager or a leader of a company you have to you have to take the time, particularly to the, at least the first tier of people you're managing to find out what they do value and and learn the art of communicating and articulating the requests in terms of their values the best you can
1: and good people are hard to find out there
2: well. I I think it, what happens is we hire out of a necessity and an urgency mm. sometimes instead of actually selecting Correct. and taking our time to select Correct. and surrounding ourselves with a people that are inspired to do what we want to delegate ultimately is going to be to our advantage. I think Jim Collins does a great job at talking about getting people that are that are really quality people around you, you know mm. the a people around you on the bus as he calls it. Mm. And I think that that's a slow process. I think he says it uh, it takes 25 years to overnight success it's surrounding and building that team over time Mm. and that I I know for myself that I would probably look back at my life and I'd say for every five people I hired I get one Mm. you know (laughs) you you find one that's really matching and you, you you try to refine that and learn how to do that more effectively over time and screen them according to what they value because if they're not really – if they can't see how the job description that they're going to do every day is going to help them fulfill what they want, you're going to be pushing them uphill. You're going to be more of a tyrant dealing with them because they're going to keep challenging you and you're going to have to micromanage them. They're going to label you aggressive and you're going to be labeling them lazy or something. And these are all labels because of the way you manage. Drucker said very well that that when it, it always boils down to management. It goes back to management, who you're hiring and how you're communicating.
0: That's what boils down to that. So I want to I want to put us into a scenario and let's let's work through that scenario. You you're you're my boss. Yes, you're my boss. (laughs) I walk in. I'm angry and I'm frustrated. Uh, I, you may not know at that point how or or why I'm that, and how I could get to the point where I'm so frustrated I just barge into your office because it's not my place to even do that. Well, how do you deal with it? What are the what are the the first three questions that you need to ask me, or the what do you go through to try and calm me down and then get some kind of coherence out of what I'm saying? Well, I'd
2: probably just listen first to find out what's going on, because obviously you're you're exploding about something. <laughs> and you need to know what it is. So what's happening? <clears throat> if if you if you we're disrespectful and do it while I'm on a phone. That's a big business deal. And you walked Mm. in my office, I'd say, not now. And I'd say, let's schedule a time where we can have this uh, communication. But if you just walked in my office and I was doing some paperwork or something, and I'd say, what's going on? Talk, get it off, let let it out. And just let them go. Let them go and find out what's going on and find out what it is because they may be giving you valuable feedback that you've been completely you know Mm. oblivious to. And uh, then find out what is actually going on. And if you have knowledge that they don't have on how to communicate and work your way through that, you give them information to, to help them through it. If they found that there was a – if they say, well, I'm not getting along with somebody else in the business um, and I can't work with this person, this person's difficult, I'd probably go and find out – I'd listen to your story. I'd probably listen to their story and I'd find out what's probably real and I'd try to mediate some sort of a communication between the two.
0: I can imagine then that to get into a defensive position would be incorrect. So to say something, uh, something like, I hear you, but – I hear you, but – that's probably not the right way to be able to elicit information from an individual. If
2: if I thought that what they were saying was purely a subjective bias and there was no reason behind it, it was just their distortion. I would probably say, "Are you sure that's the the facts? Bring me some objective data to support these facts." Mm. Okay, so objective bring it, I it, it, Subjective emotions usually distort things. Getting objective data allows you to go, "Okay, now here's mm-hmm. the facts." Because sometimes we twist the facts with our emotions, mm. and it's better to get some facts. You say this person's not producing, or, or this person's not doing this. Let's get some stats. Let's show the stats. Mm. Let's find out what's uh, And if we don't have those objective data, we're likely to have a more emotional business, mm. because we, we've set ourselves up not having objective information.
1: Mm. Um, second scenario, there is somebody who perpetuates the act of bullying time and time again. How would you deal with that person in a business
2: Environment. You, now, this is the uh, me as the as the boss being the, as bully. the
1: boss.
2: I'm the boss. Bu- Correct. You're asking me why I'm uh, uh, bullying. i no, uh, <laughs> uh, no,
0: Is is the boss the bully?
1: No, I'm the bully. You're the boss.
2: Okay. Uh Well, and if, I'm bullying. If I saw somebody that was um consistently over dominating people, mm. I would l- first look at who are they dominating. Are these piece, p- people that are actually suppressing themselves and disempowered? Because disempowered people very commonly get overpowering results around them. Mm. Any area of your life you're not empowered in, you're going to get overpowered in. Mm. I'd look for that scenario because I'd look at my own management structure and see if I've got an overpowered person here, is that because there's a bunch of people that are not speaking up and not feeling engaged? And is am I, did I hire it and structure it that way? And I've got the overbully because they're frustrated with disengaged people and they're frustrated and they're bullying them, trying to get them to, to work. If not, if I saw a pattern there, I'd also look at what did I do to hire this person. Are they unfulfilled in their job? Is that why they're being challenging constantly to people? Are they unfulfilled? I'd sit down and talk to them. I'd try to narrow down what's actually the dynamic mm. before I would jump to a conclusion. They're a bully.
0: So all I'm seeing, uh, and I see you out the corner of my eye nodding, and I'm, I'm nodding as well. <laughs> and I hope all the listeners are nodding because this is really good information. Uh, often we would, because of a label, you're a bully. We go in and we don't do exactly what you're describing, which is to understand the situation in its entirety. Yeah. Look I'm, at the context because, yeah. because I can see
2: in my own life, when I've asked people, I've been in front of thousands of people, entrepreneurs, and I've asked them, how many of you have ever been bullied? Every hand goes up. Of course. And how many of you bullied? Every hand goes up. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't want to just label like that's some sort of bad thing out there. Okay. I want to, I want to understand the context of why human behavior creates that outcome. And I'd try to understand that dynamic first and see if I could repositioning the dynamics so that's not a symptom. Because the symptoms in business are constantly giving us feedback to bring equity in our communication. And whenever we're not in equity in our relationships, we create these labels, these outcomes. So I'd look at that overall context because I usually can find a reason why that's manifesting.
0: I love the idea of balance. And that it almost is quite a malleable liquid kind of thing that happens where, if you are not in an appropriate space, that there will be something that else uh, will be something that comes from outside and will fill that space, and often I think we're too passive about the way that we approach these things, even ourselves. And we must realize that there are things that are going to be coming in no matter what. Mm-hmm. If there's, if there's a, a, an opportunity or an opening, something's going to be coming into that space. And that's what I'm hearing you say. Is that right?
2: Yeah, because I, when, when I think of those, when you described all those labels, I'm, I was snapping into moments in my career where I played every one of those roles. I, That's I have so certain, true. I have certain played out moments where I've made it guilt statements. Guilt trip. I'm a
1: good guilt tripper. I <laughs>
2: used statements where I use guilt trips. Correct. And and I've also used uh, bullying and I've tantrums. Used, I tantrums. I've used every one of those reactions. <laughs> tantrums I can go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when I stop and reflect afterwards, because usually it's a reaction, I stop and I look at what's really going on in my mind at this time okay. and how am I perceiving this? Sometimes it's it's an accurate assessment and sometimes there's somebody just playing on out a role and i'm now having to play off that role some t- believe it or not role playing. you have to play out different roles correct, no, you do. correct. and some and Life is steve a jobs i th- i think steve I love jobs this man. Steve, <laughs> steve jobs um, did a great job when they did his autobiography because people many times in the business world kind of thought he was this kind of this mystical guy that mm-hmm. just had this creativity and stuff mm. but when you actually go digging in there you find out that he had all those labels at times uh, when I read a, a book when I, dealing with uh, Bill Gates and and his partner, right, um, I, I saw those same behaviors. They had moments when they played out those roles. And I've certainly been in enough board meetings to see that all those roles get played out. Yep. And yep. so I, I I think that it's unrealistic to expect a false idealism, okay. and and to set this that we're supposed to have a peaceful environment at all times. I think that's delusional because when I ask people, oh, thank you, thank you for sh- saying that, because so it really cute. is. But so it was okay, like when <laughs> I when I ask uh, how many of you had peace and war in your family, every hand goes up. Sure. And how many of you have both peace and war and cooperation and competition and agreements and disagreements in business? All the hands go up. So I, I don't want to promote a false idealism that sets people up to force labels. I'd rather say that, that human beings are human beings and they lack the rules and are more flexible when their values are being supported And they're more taxing and more challenging, and they end up being aggressive when their values are are, are challenged. So learning the art of caring enough about a human being to find out how to communicate their values is ultimately to our advantage. And you're not going to do that at all times because you've got pairs of opposites in management that you're dealing with, people with completely opposite set of values. You have a person that's doing maybe pushing paper, another person that's very social and out there selling. Two different value systems are needed. You can't say you're not going to manage those the same way. You're going to communicate in a different way with this person than this person, and they're going to label you differently.
0: I I guess I I still have this question: and how do you find out what people's true values are? Because you sit down with someone across a table and or desk, and you say, "What are your values?" They're going to just rattle off some stuff that you. There'll be social idealisms and platitudes. No, that's not the way.
2: So, how do you do that? You look at how they fill their space. Okay. I went into Corning Company in Corning, New York, which is a, a amazing. Corningware is an amazing company. It has the building is made out of glass. They're a glass company. Mm. The whole building is glass. You mm. look through the floors down below, you see glass. Looking down on floors and looking up at floors. That's it's amazing. Phenomenal. Yeah, it is amazing. But when you, oh, I went in there and, and I was uh, doing a program for them, and I went in there and I found out that that in that company, I walked into the cubicles, and I was pointing out to management value systems. And one, this one uh, lady had pictures of her children everywhere, mm-hmm. okay? So I looked to see if it was the same children. If it was a variety of children, I thought, okay, maybe we've got a pedophile here. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the same children at different ages. So I said, okay, well, this tells you that her values is her children. Over here, we see a guy that's got gadgetry, technical gadget, gadgetry everywhere. He's a tech guy. And over this person's got trophies of bowling. Okay, well, this guy wants to talk about bowling. This person over here, same for golf. This person over here has got books everywhere. So he's a reader. So when you're managing them, you look at how they fill their space. You look at what they spend their time on. You look at what they are energized by and show and and open up their eyes with. You look at how they spend their money. Okay. You look at what they're, where they're very organized and where they're disorganized. It tells you their values. Mm-hmm. Where they're disciplined and where they, they never get around to doing things. That tells you their values. Instead of labeling them, just know that people are always lazy in their lowest values and always very diligent in their highest values. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and you, Somebody could label me as lazy when it comes to working out. Mm-hmm. They can see me very dedicated when it comes to studying. Mm-hmm. I'm both. I'm lazy and I'm dedicated. Mm-hmm. It all depends on the setting of values. You, so there's, so, the, the, there's, this, there's 13 uh, value determinants that I use, and I and I may not be able to use every one of them when I'm working with somebody, just observing, but I can use at least six or eight of those pretty quickly to determine what they value most. And if not, there's nothing wa- unwise about going to them and saying. In order for us to have a greatest relationship in business as possible, it would really be helpful for both of us to know what's really meaningful and important to us. I'd like us to go through a a series of questions to help narrow that down so we are better at communicating.
1: That's a great, that's That's a a good starting point. point. That's Mm. a great point. Don't be
2: afraid to ask them about what's important to them and not just what they think it is socially ideal, Mm. what their life demonstrates. Your life demonstrates your values, not your social idealism.
0: Exactly. Dr.
1: John D. Martini, keeping it real in leadership success.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately we've run out of time, and that's um, it's been action-packed as it always always is. I love the.
1: You see how we actually flipped the conversation.
0: You know, no, to make it, I don't know what you mean.
1: Uh, okay. I, 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 We went in with a structure and you came out and revealed some real great leadership tools and skills. I about, messed up your
2: structure. Yeah, you did. And it, for, for as all usual, the right reasons, For all yeah. the
1: right reasons. As usual. As usual. Making us think differently about how to handle some our businesses in the correct and profitable and manageable way. Thank you so well, much. Well,
2: I, I get labeled periodically and I, <laughs> I look at that and I go, that's true under this setting. And the opposite is true under a different setting. Mm. So I'm all the above. No matter what you say about me, it's true.
1: Keeping it real.
0: Thank you, Dr. Demartini. We'll be uh, up. What's up next? CEO of All All Life Insurance. It's Ross Bierman. We'll see you right after this break. Future CEOs on cliffcentral.com.
1: Cliffcentral.com.